Motor Addicts Road and Track. All right, Motor Addicts, welcome back to our seventh episode. And uh, it's a cold evening, cold snap coming in from somewhere in the uh, in the West, I believe. It's what? What is it, Steve? It's blowing a gale or it's something like that? It's blowing a gale. It's blowing a gale. It's our last week of winter. Thank God for that. Yeah, and and um, yours, yours is coming, Griff. <laughs> So we're, we're, if, you, if you keep the winter, man, I don't no, want it over no, here no, either. No, I do, Griff. It was twenty-eight degrees on Wednesday. Yeah, it's it's all yeah, over the shop. Was, here. Uh, we were we've got a tin roof on our workshop over here in the UK, and it was me- we were melting, mate. It was like baking in so, here so, properly. So it, was, so it was twenty. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. Okay, so um, let's see here. We're sitting here with a customary glass. I know, Griff, you don't you don't drink, but you, um, yeah. hopefully you got a cup of tea sitting there. Cheers. Yeah, first thing the morning. I've got a cup of coffee, lad. Oh, there hey, we go. There we I like go. it's got your name on it. It's very good. Um, it's a bit too early in the morning for a day just yet. Just a little bit. <laughs> just a touch. If you want to want to watch this podcast, uh, we were going to try to put it live um, on the Facebook page with way too much feedback and the technology just wasn't there, so... Uh, we've decided to do this uh, via video call with Griff. So we, we can see Griff. Griff can see us. But you guys, unfortunately, uh, you can't see us. Um, but we're, we're going to try to work on that. So it sorts itself out the next time. So let's get on some introductions. Of course, you got Steve and uh, and and myself. Uh, and we've got a special guest. You've been hearing Griff. It's the internationally known Aprilia guru from Birmingham or Brum, as it's known. Uh, Mr. Griff is out of the AP workshops in the U.K., and of course, he's made graciously made some time for us. He's joining us uh, for the whole segment with his customary cup of tea, and he's joining us live, um, or was joining us live on the Facebook feed. Um, and so I'm, Jesus, I'm, I just realized I'm, I'm a Canadian surrounded by Brummies. Nothing wrong with that, is it, Griff? <laughs> <laughs> there, there have been worse things in the world, I'm sure. But oh, good just... morning to everybody uh, from the UK, and I believe it's good evening from you guys over in Oz. Oh yeah, it it's, is. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's uh, evening now. Seven o'clock in the evening. Yeah. Yeah, seven o'clock in the evening. It's, um, it's just gone ten o'clock in the morning, so we're just having a cup of uh, oh, a cup of coffee this Lovely. morning. That's good. Lovely. That's good. So uh, just to, just to, for our listeners, so we can give Griff a bit of an introduction. Uh, Griff started working at Honda and Kawasaki dealerships in the nineteen eighties uh, with the two stroke. While the two strokes were out on the street, scalping the horrible overweight dinosaur four cylinder Jap offerings like the GSXR and the RC thirty. Hey, hold on, my Katana wasn't a dinosaur. Well, no, Come it on. wasn't. Why was I it? The Katana was gold. It, it wasn't in the eighties, mate. It wasn't in the eighties, but it is. Now isn't it? I still lost my license. This is progress, apparently. <laughs> I, had, I had an RZ350, so I was on the two-stroke side at the time. But uh, no, I, I did like. I, I actually really loved that 750 slingshot that, that Suzuki had put out. That thing was apparently a bit of a widowmaker. Um, it was um, the J model. Apparently, the J and the K models when they first came out had a bit of a reputation of being bad boys. But yeah, yeah that all got sorted when the L models came out. And you got to remember that. And I'm going to defend myself a little bit here. I yeah. was like 17, 18 at the time. I'm not actually that old, but uh, <laughs> but those bikes, they were beasts. I mean, they were beasts. They were. Oh, yeah. Absolute beasts. I, I, I was privileged to be a part of that era, I think. Definitely. Mm. Very, very good. I, I also, my, my uncle around that time, around actually about the late 70s, um, he had one of those Kawasaki 750 triple two-strokes. And that thing scared the crap out of me when I was three or four years old. He stuck yeah. that thing up in the but garage. We, and- 
just listen to it. Just fire one of those up these days and have a listen to that engine, that air-cooled triple engine. It just sounds angry. It, it just sounds like it wants to beat you up when you're just, <laughs> just sitting there ticking over. Honestly. Oh, it certainly does. All right, so so moving on. So yeah, you, you chased a bit of glory with a few race teams on and off until the 1990s, and apparently it got a bit stale because you're sleeping in the back of vans constantly. Is that what was going on? Yeah, well, basically, kind of um, the, the glamour and the glitz that you see from the MotoGP paddock these days certainly wasn't extended to the mechanics in the 80s, that's for sure, and the 90s. So we were sleeping in the back of vans on mattresses, and uh, right. uh, and it was cold and wet, and it wasn't very nice. Uh, and basically, like I said, you look at um, look at the glamour and the glitz of what actually goes on on the outside of the paddocks, uh, yep. sort of at the garages, track side. But go the other side, and it's, and it's damn hard work. Those boys deserve and earn every penny of their money absolutely oh, I, I i think it was 2017 i was uh we were lucky enough to get back into the Aprilia garage here in australia at phillip island and after all the racing was done i lurked because i just you know i didn't want to go anywhere i could have curled up yeah. and slept in the corner but all the mechanics tore those bikes down and scrubbed everything with with hoses standing outside and phillip island's bloody cold and it was windy yeah. there, and they were they were in their jackets, getting completely soaked and cleaning these bikes up and cleaning every single part. So you can tell the dude, you guys worked very very hard. Definitely, it was. Um, if you imagine that was 2017, so if you imagine doing that in the early 90s when there was no consideration for anything <laughs> along those lines. So like I said, it was it was cold. It was right. Imagine if you had a crash, or, uh, uh, or if you went into Redgate when when Redgate wasn't quite uh, at Donington Park, Turn One yeah. at Donington Park. Basically, it it was. There's like a little area of gravel, and then you went onto the grass. So it basically, because it's the UK, it rains constantly <laughs> here. So pretty much, as soon as you've got over that gravel, you're into mud, and right. you're kind of scrubbing, and you're, you're hosing off, and it just wasn't much fun. But you know what? It wouldn't have changed it for the world. Exactly. So uh, so I, I really enjoyed it. But every now and again, or, or, or sort of when you've been doing it for five, six, seven years, it kind of gets a bit boring sleeping <laughs> yeah, in a van. It would. I'm sure you've got some stories. Do you, you have a favorite story from that uh, from that era? Um, do you know what? Watch it. Mallory Park. Uh, Mallory Park's quite mm-hmm. a... Uh, it was a famous track. certainly was a famous track. It's kind of disappearing a little bit now, but it's quite local to us. Okay. And um, there's a um, there's a there's a corner called the Devil's Elbow, which is basically an off camber downhill left hander, which is about as bad as you can get it on any kind of race bike. So let alone something that was made in the sort of designed in the eighties, developed in the sort of six months before it was released onto track. And I remember before they had sort of um, fences up, um, bikes. Uh, they, they were crashing at the elbow. They were coming out yeah. the elbow, and those bikes like sort of twenty feet in the air coming into the actual <laughs> into the <paddock>. <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> and there was a, there was a team called Loctite Yamaha ran by a guy, but I think it was Rob Mack who used to run yeah. the Virgin Mobiles. So, uh, yeah. and basically, Rob, um, Rob Rob was racing at that particular point in that in that, uh, it, it, and, and I think it was his bike that came over, and I was standing underneath the damn thing when it came over my head. <laughs> Absolutely, like, like just standing there in astonishment, which is quite uh, quite fitting for what what happened at the GP exactly. uh, last Valentina weekend. Rossi, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was pretty sketchy stuff, boys. That I don't mind telling you. I've been doing this in four for a long time, and I've not seen anything like that, but uh, no. but that's another story. Yes, it certainly is. We'll, we'll, we'll be having a chat about, about what happened in the, at the Red Bull ring shortly. So after you did the racing, you ended up in the trade in 2000 and went, went to work for Honda UK as a technical trainer for two years. What was that? Yeah, like? that's right. So basically, um, 
it was, uh, uh, um, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not much of a suit and tie kind of guy, really. Right. So, you, you know, I'm a bit, I'm a bit of a scrubber. So, like, I've got, I've got blisters on my hands because I work on spanners. Yeah. But it was really, really interesting because you got to speak to people. Well, basically, I did technical training, technical updates and stuff like that for technicians and apprentices on Honda products. Mm. So you got to ask an awful lot of questions to an awful lot of older guys that, uh, that you know, I mean, and you got to learn quite an mm. a, quite a lot as well as, um, as well as teach those guys something. Um, a, a little something about the Honda products and about method that I've been using over those years when we were racing. Right. But you also got to learn quite a lot. And then you also got to kind of um, ask a few questions about sort of these old housewife tales, which has just come up again this morning, I've noticed, that uh, on the uh, the media that is Facebook, it's just so brilliant, about <laughs> smearing copper slip on the back of your brake pads and stuff like that yeah, and yeah. why people do it. It's just incredible. Right. But you've got opportunity and you get access to sort of 10, 15 people a day, different people a day to teach them. You That'd can ask this question experience. and the answers are just, just outstanding. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah. But um, to work with a company that has so many resources and sort of um, uh, uh, and, and facilities that are just yeah. absolutely world-class, Weapons-grade machinery yeah. and toolboxes. It's just, it was a privilege. It was an absolute privilege. And but you got to stay like out of the van. Unfortunately, uh, said again. You got to stay out of the back of a van. Yeah, and I got out <laughs> the back of the van, which is always a winner. Hotel rooms. <laughs> it's a big times, yeah. <laughs> Mate, honestly, I've got, I've got, I lost the little imprints of the sort of nuts and bolts that were on the bottom of the van, kind of like <laughs> you were lying on them, right there. <laughs> Awesome. Oh, so, so you did that for about two years and, and then you went to work for Aprilia as a UK technical manager at their factory in Noali when the Baggio, Baggio family still owned the outfit. How'd that happen? Absolutely, yeah. How'd, well, you, get basically, from, how'd you get from um, Honda to, to, to Aprilia? So basically when I, uh, I left Honda because obviously it wasn't quite me. So I was kind of living a little bit of a, a, a little bit of a, a, a dream, if you like. So, cause I'm a little bit more hands on than that as it sits. Mm-hmm. And kind of, you can only do that for so long before yeah. you start kidding yourself. And then you start, you start realizing, look, I'm a bit more hands-on than this. I saw an advert, believe it or not, in the UK Motorcycle News for the technical manager for Aprilia UK. I answered it. I got a conversation. I had a conversation with the, um, the acting manager at the time. And I got a phone call a couple of weeks later to say, perfect, you've got the job, no problems. So um, I started a few weeks later just to sort of uh, uh, to work on, but it was all a bit sort of strange because it was a bit of a time when um, when Aprilia were changing from they were changing their management structure. Okay. And they were changing it from Aprilia uh, SPA to to like sort of regional branches. Yeah. How it worked. Right. So it was all a bit of a changeover. So they had sort of different um, departments uh, sort of dotted all around the world, and um, it turned out that I ended up doing um, or helping out at the factory. Uh, and well, basically, I did all of the, the, the sort of technical help UK. That was my responsibility. Warranty issues, anything that the dealers were struggling with, um, it, we basically had, had issues with. That was my job to deal with that, no right. problems. I also worked with a few other guys, um, a few other incredibly talented people around the world to make sure that we put together a group of of technical guys that could help each other out around the world. So there was like a, a worldwide technical sort of team that w- was, that we communicated mm. to make sure that there was any problems that were in another market that we could deal with. Um, 
So we did like um, we did all like the, the technical training for the English speaking world. We did um, like development on the the Gen two product um, SXV RXV, which I know is a little bit more popular over in Oz than than it is over here. Mm. Um, Pegaso six fifty, the Pegaso six fifty Strada. That right. was another one that was um, we all had a we all had a little finger in your pie and that kind of stuff just to work out what was going on. And uh, believe it or not, because it was all part of the sort of um, Aprilia group. We also dealt with uh, with Gutsy as well. Oh yeah, right, gotcha. So basically, so we had a, we had a, we had many trips, many drunken trips to uh, to Mandelo. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you guys have ever been to Mandelo, oh, but no. it is it's, it's an incredible place. It's a beautiful place to go, and the factory. Um, it's one of those tours you do when you go around. In fact, if you have a look, I think there's um there's a video that uh, you and McGregor did called Long Way Down. He actually yeah. called into that, uh, right. that called into that facility. Oh, if, you, if you ever get a chance to watch it, yeah. um, he's brilliant anyway. But but that 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 tour of the facility that he did, you walk around the entire place with your jaw on the floor right. constantly. So for any of you guys that are actually into bikes rather than just one particular brand, and you're not a bike snob or anything along those lines. Mm. And if you kind of can immerse yourself for a few hours in the whole two-wheeled lifestyle that it is, Mandela and the factory, the, the museum tour at the factory is, is just breathtaking. I, I remember walking out of the building and taking a breath in and thinking, my God, I don't think I've took a breath for two hours because you're just captivated by the whole story. They've got, uh, they've got um, Carlo Guzzi's office has been shut since he died. It's shut. They've shut the door and left it. Mm. You know, right. things like that. And, and the, you can go out to the back of the factory and out the back of the factory, they've got a wind tunnel. You, you go on Google Images and have to look for the Guzzi wind tunnel. Yeah. It's basically just a big radial engine with a prop on it. Oh, wow. Okay, <laughs> inside this big tunnel. Uh, you, can you imagine the poor sod that had to sit on that bike in front yeah. of that radial <laughs> engine like this? Time to do some My God. And apparently they had like... Um, goggles on your face. And that, that little leather mask yeah, thing that they used it. to wear yeah, for yeah, crying yeah. out loud, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and we think we've got it rough. Those yeah. four guys, man, they were hard as nails, they were weren't hard, they? Weren't they? Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, look, it's, it's stuff of the days gone by. You really don't see this stuff. And I... Uh, I said in 2000, what, a year ago, I guess, I guess I was, I got, luckily got invited into the Noale factory before I came to visit you and walked yeah. around that factory. And of course, Piaggio has shipped almost all the manufacturing out of there and they only do a bit of R&D. But it looked like it would have been working there would have been a very, very close knit team because there's what, six, seven outbuildings, um, a bit of an office. Yeah. And so you would have known everybody. It's not like working in something like Honda where there's thousands of offices everywhere and that sort of thing. So it wouldn't sound. It, the Italian like way of doing been, things is yeah. quite different because basically you stand by the cappuccino machine or the espresso machine at lunchtime and you talk. Yeah. And that's it. And you stand around by the cappuccino, by the espresso machine. You, you punch your button in and. and you get a little espresso out and you talk and it's much more relaxed. And of course, something that's quite strange for, for us guys over here in the UK, going to the canteen and you can buy a beer. Yeah, really. <laughs> I you beer you certainly too. don't yeah. do that over I, here I, in the UK. Like that's sure. put together after lunchtime. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know. Maybe some, some some of the creativity and ingenuity would have been well, there, right? Everybody's loosened up a little bit. It's, uh, it was a pretty it's a pretty incredible facility where they uh, where they have, like you said, they have wind tunnels. They have um, acoustic rooms where they can test for induction noise. Mm-hmm. They've got engine dynos. They've got chassis dynos. Yep. You know, this stuff is state of the art stuff. I'm, from what I believe now, because obviously I don't work there anymore, mm-hmm. but I believe Piaggio send a lot of their 
test beds or their, their test uh, frames and engines up to that facility up at Aprilia, up at oh, Nawali, yeah. to, to be used. And uh, I think they've got a museum open there now as they well. Do, some of do. the, um, yeah, I think I saw some of your pictures, but um, that certainly wasn't open when I was there or certainly didn't have time to go and see that when we were working up there. But so, because we were, we were working and filming, that was another part of the job. We did a lot of technical videos when we were there as well. Mm. So, uh, so, so there was a lot of ums and ahs in that particular, those videos <laughs> while I was learning how to do that kind of thing. Like the the facility when when we went there, they were just starting to get the museum in play. Um, they had a bunch of bikes lined up. They had little a little shop where you could walk in and buy a bit of a pillia kit. And they were there was a couple of guys there actually that were in the dyno rooms in the chassis dyno room as well as in the engine dyno room. And they were doing tests and they let us in and let us watch that. Which is pretty, really it's, pretty um, cool. It's incredible to watch, isn't it? It is. It is. And then we walked around the corner and actually sat and it was this little office sort of. Um, off to the right and they were developing the RS660 and we got to take a look at what that was looking like at the time and had discussions with them about what color they might be putting on it and then we went around the corner into this other little office and you had I think it was four people that were sitting there with, with AutoCAD desks and they were sitting there designing sort of CAD, CAD camming uh, a bunch of different parts and then they had the bikes the, the next um the, the, I guess the, the 2019 uh, RSV4 and they had half of it painted in a black and the other half of it painted in a gunmetal gray and they were trying to decide which color they were going to go with and asked us and I, I don't know if they they went with our recommendation or not but and I can't remember what my recommendation was because I just in awe of the whole thing but it, it's a lot of people don't get to walk in there and look at that stuff and so I, I could just imagine when you were working there what it would have been like can you hear us? Oh, cool. uh, just 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 lost you a little bit. You'll be back shortly. Yeah, we've got you back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. 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 Okay. Um. So you did warranty responsibility. Then you, you did a lot of video training. You you lived and worked in the factory. Did you like have a, a bed? Uh, yeah, the- kind of. So, so so basically, I had two two areas of responsibility. UK, uh, the dealers in the UK, which is obviously took up a lot of the time, but a lot of that kind of uh, that responsibility was took up and taken over the phone because technical help was usually pretty good or pretty available with mobile phone. I could usually take a phone call and we could usually work through it right. uh, fairly straightforward. But also I would work in Nawali, so I would go to Nawali. I'd be there on Monday morning and then I'd leave sort of like 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the afternoon in Italy, jump into Marco Polo Airport and then I'd fly home for the weekend. So, so yeah, I, I actually lived, I lived in Nawali as well for a while. A lot of hotels. Right, a lot of hotels. So they they would put you up in hotels while you were working, and then you just fly home for the weekend. Yeah, a lot of like Ryanair and EasyJet, I suppose. Is that what's a be? lot of Ryanair and EasyJet, man? <laughs> in fact, I think I remember. Uh, <laughs> I remember even rec- getting recognised by a few of the security staff in Birmingham International Airport a few times because I came through in the same clothing every time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's you again. <laughs> okay. Oh, hello, hello. <laughs> Um, so then I guess in 2008, when, um, when Ivan, Ivano sold Aprilia to Piaggio, you decided that it, you, you'd had enough. Is that right? Yeah, basically, um, um, I, I wanted to work for a sort of a firm where, where I could make a difference by, by being one person. Um, yes. and in Piaggio, you've got to imagine the Piaggio were the fourth biggest motorcycle manufacturer in the world as yep. far as at that particular point. I'm not sure what the logistics are now. Yep. Um, but uh, if you go and work into a, into a huge organization like that, you're a number you just get and lost. you've yep. got a job. 
carry out your job. You just, uh, you know, that's it. And you know what? I'm kind of, I, I, like I said, all my life I've worked with, um, you know, five or six guys in a team. We've worked in shops where there was three or four guys in a workshop and, mm. and all of a sudden you start to work in a company where there's thousands of people and, and it's just not my thing at all. I, I'm kind of, I'm a bit, like I said, uh, uh, you, you can't you can't polish dung, man. I'm still that piece of dung underneath all of this, so you know. So, uh, so basically, we decided to period from where Beggio decided. Listen, I'm, we're selling it off. It's it's going to change hands. Two thousand and seven. Two thousand and seven was when it all started to go a little right. bit wrong. Just about the time, if you imagine, when we were sort of. Um, uh, for those of guys that are actually into Prilia, the you know the the long or the extended oil filter caps, it's yep. all started going a little bit, um, all started getting, getting difficult. Two thousand one and two thousand two were the glory years for the factory at this particular yep. point. They sold more bikes in two thousand one, two thousand two than, than than they've ever done ever. But what happened was the main bulk of the uh, from from what we can gather, the main bulk of the sales for that particular organisation were scooters. Uh, and scooters in, in Spain, uh, Germany, like on the European continent, basically, uh, scooters were massively popular. Then yeah. in Italy and Spain, they made um, 14-year-olds or made people wear helmets. Oh, right. right. That was a game changer because, unfortunately, people didn't want to wear helmets. They didn't want that choice. So the scooter sales dropped. Now, at that particular point, Beggio bought Moto Guzzi, right. uh, which was quite a financial investment, which is what basically put them on the back heel slightly because yeah. all of a sudden it came in at the wrong time. So they, they sold all of these bikes, bought Guzzi on the back of that. Then the government changed the legislation to say that you've got to wear helmets. Scooter sales dropped. Yeah. It got financially difficult. So basically we managed to kind of work it all the way through. 2006, 2007 got quite difficult financially wise. Uh, then Piaggio took over in 2008. That was right. kind of like the timeline of what yeah. went on. Okay. So, so uh, I had, 2008. I had no idea that the EU had made a decision to make everywhere, everybody wear helmets and then that was a, that I, precipitated. I don't know if they, yeah, I don't know if they enforce it or not. I don't know because yeah. every time I go there still, I still see people no, rolling around with no helmets. Nobody's wearing them. But that, that just that see, I think you have precipitated this. I think they, uh, I think they have to have. I think the, the wording in the law is that you, if that's why you see a lot of top boxes, they have to have the helmet on them or with them. So which means it. they've got their helmet in the booth or underneath the seat in, or in the top box rather uh-huh. than actually wearing it. <laughs> legal loopholes. <laughs> They're legal loophole, man. Yeah. Let's face it, we all love a loophole, don't we? We, we do. <laughs> we certainly do. Loopholes are great. I mean, especially I, when you've got a haircut like mine. <laughs> My, my, I've made my money on legal loopholes for a fair bit of time. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but you decided just that's it. You're, you're, you're going to leave because you don't want to work for Piaggio. And what you went back to the UK, was there a bit of a soul searching moment or did you know that you were going to go open up your own shop? No, man, that's it. Ever since I was a boy, all I wanted to do was fix shops, uh, fix bikes in my own shop. Ever since right. I was a, uh, I, 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 10 years old, I've, I've always wanted to do that. that. That's how it works. The first time I ever saw a motorcycle that inspired me to do it. My old man, my dad was a police motorcyclist. Oh, right. So wow. he came home when I was a, when I was about sort of eight years old, nine years old. He probably shouldn't have come home, but he did. He came home on his this BMW, an R8TRT, yeah. basically. Uh, and I think it was a 1978 R8T. 
And I mean, can you imagine standing, being sort of eight years old, standing next to that bike? Oh, yeah. It was just, yeah. it, it was the most incredible thing I've ever heard. And, yeah. and because my, my dad was in a position of authority for me anyway, certainly. Uh, he turned up on this big bike with a siren on it that he scared the life out of us with and blue lights. And it was all very important and very impressive. Yeah, right. And kind of from that moment forward, that's a part of me, that is. And, yeah. I, and ever since, since 2008, when I knew that this was coming, I kind of um, certainly, find, I certainly didn't financially gear up for it, but I certainly got the tooling to get get on it and, and, and just, just a wing and a prayer and, st- right. and started um, a brilliant performance. I had to. It's just one of those moments. Yeah, very, very good. I like. I, I know. I know what it is. I mean, my my dad absolutely abhorred motorcycles. His brother, his older brother, had one, and my dad grew up um, in the Himalayas in India, uh, in this little town called Shimla. And so his his brother was um, uh, an Air Force pilot and a bit of a daredevil. And he had a motorcycle at the time. And he took my dad on, I think my dad was about seven or eight years old and took him through this mount, these mountain passes on those roads. And they're quite treacherous even to today. And he, every time my dad had tell him to slow down, he'd giggle and speed up. So my dad had this horrible fear of motorcycles and wouldn't let me near any of them, even though I begged and pleaded. And then my, my uncle, my mom's brother, um, he's the one with that cow, we triple 750. And so I was living at my grandmom's place for, for a bit of time. And I would come into the garage and he'd start that thing up and I'd cry and run away. But then I'd peek around the corner and watch it with fascination. And then that's what. Can I, you imagine that kind of excitement now? I still get that kind of buzz. Every time somebody turns up at the shop on a bike, you still, yeah, yeah. You still get that little heart flutter. Yeah. What is it? What is what it? Is it? That yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> it just doesn't leave you, does it? No, that's no, no. what bikes are all about. No, I'm, and, so and like, my, my granddad rode bikes. <laughs> yeah. My dad was a Catholic racer in the 60s. You know, uh, and, and as soon as I could ride a bike, in fact, I'd, as soon as I could ride a bike on the road, I had a bike, but I had bikes before then that I could build. I was just never allowed to ride them. That was all. Right. So I yeah. built motorcycles before I was allowed to ride them. Yeah. yeah. I had the same. I had bikes hidden in my mate's garages because my dad would never let me have one. So he eventually found out and he's still never been happy about it. But I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Once it gets in, yeah. there, it yeah. just it doesn't leave. I was lucky where yeah. bikes, bikes were thrust upon me and I gladly took hold of them. Good stuff, man. Yeah. That's kind of a blessing, isn't it? It, was, it, is, yeah. it is a blessing. I've, I've, I've got video of me on a zip start grass thing, jumping <laughs> a best of luck with a piece of timber and falling basically over the edge of it, not jumping it. And I was about nine, and um, that was it. I was yeah, I was just hooked on bikes then. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's what it's all like. As you said, it's that little flutter of adrenaline yeah. every time you see something pull up. You know you're in the right place. Don't yeah, you? Yeah, that's right. Well, you seem to have developed. Uh, you know, obviously, you've developed an amazing reputation globally with with Aprilia Performance, and you've got a good team with Snox, um, and 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 a couple of other people there. You, you, you seem happy. You're doing exactly what you love to do: twisting spanners and making YouTube videos, and be, you know, being a bit of a bike whisperer when it comes to Aprilias, especially. Um, I think I've, I've come and I've bent your ear and bothered you in text message a bunch of times asking you questions about my stuff. So, um, and then you've got, you, you spend time with your, your lovely partner and, and a couple of dogs named Dottie and Hugo. Is that right? Yeah. They're Dottie and Hugo. They, they, when they come to work with us, they're, they're the, um, they, they earn their pocket money by the meet and greet team in the workshop. <laughs> so, uh, if you ever come down to the shop, Hugo and Dottie will, uh, uh will, will basically meet you and, uh, that's how they earn their pocket money. Right, right. And uh, you've also got a, a this this trips me right out because I, I was a van person back in, in Canada as well. And you've got a, a, an imported Chevy van that you sort of terrorize the countryside with. 
I love, I love that van. So basically, I've got a '77 Chevy van that's bright orange with flared arches and slot mags. Yeah. So the seventies have called. They want their van back, but I ain't giving it them back. <laughs> oh man, I, I wish I, I wish I never sold mine. Honestly, wish honestly, I, never sold I, mine. I love that van. It was, um, it was an absolute. It was, it was, it was brilliant when I got it. But I'm just a perpetual tinkerer, and I'm sure everybody that's got a bike gets that whole perpetual tinkering thing. Yeah. There's no way you can just leave it. You've got to upgrade make faster, yep. make better in any way, shape, yeah, or form. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I've had it for four years now. It's, it's got a 383 stroke motor in it with nitrous now and suspension <laughs> and tubular suspension really? and stuff. <laughs> I just can't help myself, oh, honestly. Yeah. You, you put juice into the, into the 383 stroke motor in the van. I love that. It's yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah, like it needs it for crying yeah, out loud. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, everything needs a bit of nitrous, I think. Well, you know, you sit Everybody needs a bit of nitrous. If you put a nitrous mask at home and start laughing, it's always it's a good thing. A, it's, it's laughing gas for more than one reason, isn't it? it Come is, on. It, it certainly is. is. It certainly is. All right. So uh, we're going to uh, th- – thanks for, for the great introduction. We're going we're gonna to go on to um, – we're going to go on to the to what's on top for the show today, and Steve will let us know what's go, what's going to go on. So yeah, so fun. yeah, in the paddock, the usual first section of the show, um, when we've not got guests on, we'll generally go on about Moto GP, Moto Two, Moto Three, what's happening in the race scene, and of course, last week, as Griff, Griff mentioned earlier, we've got the um, the madness that was Austria last weekend. Yeah, and <laughs> even people aren't into bikes were talking. I was getting people coming up to me this week going, "Did you see the racing?" And I'm going, "You never watch racing." but they've all seen the news and everyone's watching Vinales and Rossi seeing a motorbike go past their eyes. Within, within centimetres. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, it, it, it gripped the world um, last yeah. weekend after the race on Sunday. Yeah. Right. And then uh, what's what's after that? So we're going to do a bit of race talk and then... A bit of race gonna... talk and then we got the last segment of the show, which is a long and winding road, where we'll be talking about the onset of electric bikes and the experience we had <laughs> today of, of riding a couple of um, V-Moto Super Soco electric bikes. And, uh, it was a bit of an adventure. It, it was an experience and a... a <laughs> A crazy adventure, let me tell you. <laughs> All right, so um, let's get started with the independent section. We're just going to chuck the jingle on, and uh, and we'll be right back. All right, welcome back to In the Paddock. This is the In the Paddock section uh, segment, and today we're just going to focus on the race scene in Austria with MotoGP and Moto2 Chaos, with uh, with the and the massive accidents that we watched. Um, a bit of discussion about Mr. Andrea Davizioso and the Ducati team um, and his departure. Um, what else, Steve? What's uh, well? I mean, let, let, let's be honest. If you're going to chuck it in with anybody, whether you're you're a fitter and turner, whether you're a bricklayer, whether you're a MotoGP racer, it's always good to go out on a high. And Dobby's chucked it in. He's told him he's leaving. And what does he do? He comes out and he wins the Austrian MotoGP. Which which was great. I mean, there's it's there's fantastic. a bit there's a bit of consternation that's been going on for at least what six months. They've been talking about Dobby wanting more money in the and. Sorry, Ducati saying, uh, we don't know. And so it's been up in the air and he's left, but there are no seats anywhere for 2021 except, except for, for Aprilia. Aprilia. <laughs> yeah. There, there's, there's That's room. a good seat to have, man, well, if you're a development rider. Yeah. Well, this that is, is it. a good I mean, seat know, to have if you're a development notice. rider. That could make you uh, a lot of credibility. Let's be honest with you. It's a very new team still. 
it's a very new thing that are underfunded uh, without any question. I think I've seen some discussions on fair, uh, Facebook pages and forums about the fact that what is it that thinks that, uh, that Aprilia are, why is it that they are constantly sort of mid-pack and, and everybody agrees, I think, um, that it's just funding experience mm. and, um, and just so it's not for the lack of talent, it's just making that team work. I've not raced at, uh, at MotoGP, but I know people that have and it's all about a, a kind of a vibe that you get in the team backed up with a kind of uh, a manufacturer that can that can turn progressive, uh, progression uh, around with, uh, financially and, and and make that kind of thing changes happen. Um, I certainly remember the days when um, when the uh, Aprilia had the cube out there, the RS3, the cube out there, uh, and the problems that Jeremy <laughs> McWilliams had and stuff like that. But um, but you know what? That that seat, if there's, if there's any seats going at Aprilia, that is an opportunity for some riders that are, that are looking for it to, to make a name for themselves as de- development riders, no question. If Dobby, if Dobby, let's say he does take the seat, and chances are he will because there's really nothing else around, um, what's your thoughts on Dobby? He's not exactly young. He's clearly, you know, he's only going to be around for a couple of years, I'm assuming. Well, look, um, look, he, he, he knows he, the V4. He knows he's coming well, from another it, V4 engine. You, know, so. you, you stick him with, with Aleish, do you think they can develop the bike of that little bit further together? Uh, I think basically Alessio Spagaro is, is is a is a is a is a genius. He's he's a, he's a he's an enigma. Mm. I think that guy is making that bike look better than it is. Yeah. If I'm brutally honest with you, um, it's very very difficult to make bikes that are quite new and quite young and teams that are quite new and quite young work properly. Uh, and right. and Alessio Spagaro is is uh, is doing is uh, just it's just incredible. It's like Johnny Ray when he was riding the in, in World Superbikes when he was riding Honda. Yeah, he was riding that bike beyond its capability, and you could see put him on a bike that was developed, and all of a sudden he's multiple world oh, champion. Yeah, Alessio Spagaro is an absolute genius. I think if Dobby was to be given a seat within Aprilia with thirty with thirty four thirty five years old, he has experience. Yeah. He's a steady yeah. rider. He's understands and, and he's he's, he's Got the ability to be able to uh, to be able to put that bike where it needs to be yep. without the minimum of fuss, the minimum of stress. It just needs factory backup. As long as uh, Piaggio are prepared to put the money in to make that that team progress, that they are without mm. question with those guys <laughs> on board, they could win it. No question. Well, look, KTM sort of new to the game as well, and they're they're starting to place well. You know, we were wondering about the bikes and sort of seeing the mid pack at the same time, and and now we've seen uh, one of their bikes end up on the podium, which is interesting. So, with uh, with the new bike and the way that Aprilia has developed the bike in, in January and, and went and, and went to a ninety degree uh, motor instead of the sixty degree one that they've developed before. Um, and with Andre Iannone sort of helping them with that sort of stuff, well, he's gone because of the whole steroid scandal. But uh, if Davi shows up, I, I think, you know, like you said, I think he, he'd be able to. And apparently, well, I mean, we, we saw that with, um, with <clears throat> what's his name? Uh, the Spaniard, the short little guy who left, and he, he tried to ride on the Ducati and didn't do so well. Why, why is his name falling out of my head? He's, he's off. He's been in Ibiza island hopping. What are we talking I about? I can see his face, but I can't remember his name. Yeah. <laughs> he was the Honda I, guy. I got, uh, the I've, got a, I've, got a, I've got a little word of wisdom that I was given when, when I first started racing myself by a gentleman by the name of Ray Stringer, who, um, who basically, he's, in the UK, he's quite well known as, as quite a good racer, and he did do some good European rounds. But he right. 
actually won the last transatlantic race. Remember the transatlantic races that used to be in yeah, the UK, right. where yeah. the Americans and the UK would yeah. come over in the early 80s yeah. and the early 90s. That's right. That was just incredible. Uh, but um, a guy called Ray Stringer, who actually won the last transatlantic race at Mallory Park uh, in, I think it was 92, said, there's no substitute for experience. Yeah. It doesn't matter yeah. how good or how fast you are. If you yeah. do not have the experience to back it up, you're no good to anybody right. because you'll crash, because right. you'll make mistakes, because you don't know what you're talking about. If you could put Dobby on that particular bike there with that kind of experience that yeah. he's got, the ability that he's got to be able to put it together, right. it, it, it could be a winning combination, well, definitely. The Ducati's, the Ducati's been known to not be the easily the most easily ridden bike, and uh, Jorge Lorenzo, that's the name oh. I was trying to think of, yeah. he tried to go over there and, and ride one of those things and just couldn't do it, and he ended up leaving and going to Honda and then retiring afterwards. Valentino Rossi tried to go to Ducati couldn't do it. and couldn't do it. Who did? So, Casey Stoner. Casey Stoner, but do, I mean, look, Dobby... Casey Stoner. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> he's, he's an enigma. He's oh, another he one. He's yeah. an absolute enigma. He cut his teeth racing the RS125 Challenge that's over right. in the UK. Yeah. I remember watching him racing a, a 125 as a 17 year old uh, over here in the UK when his dad brought him over he mm. saved a friend of mine up in uh, up in the north of England called Ian Newton uh, who I've known for years and years and years he actually, they actually lived in a caravan this is their dedication right. to racing yep. and this is what it takes so basically he stayed in a caravan in Ian Newton's backyard you know that's yeah. it there's, that's a, it, there's it. a TT racer called uh, it, it was it Peter 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 Rice is the Iron Maiden, uh, the bike, the, the 675 bike as well. Uh, basically, he lived in a mobile home at Cadwell Park. You know, have yeah. you heard of Cadwell Park there? Yeah, yeah. With, the, with the mountain section? Yeah. He said, why do you live? Uh, he got an interview and said, why do you live in a caravan or why do you live in a mobile home at Cadwell Park? He said, because I can't race the house. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. That kind of dedication and that kind of experience and that kind of thing will get will will bring mm. will actually bring results and well, I believe it. I well, genuinely if, believe it. That's Dobby, why do, Dobby does go then, and then the the Ducati team. Then the number one rider in the team is going to be Jack Miller at this stage, who's officially you he's know, a maniac. He is a he's maniac. An absolute he's maniac. Still, he's still young. He's, yeah. he's not that old in real terms. And you go well. All of a sudden, he's <laughs> been shot forward as as the main possible main rider for the, for, for the um, Ducati team. It's crazy. Did you see the last five laps of the race there? The last five laps when his tyres went bang, yeah, his yeah. tyres went off like that. That's right, yeah. That and he guy, third, he's, yeah. He's again, he's, he's, he was holding that bike up. The last corner where he lost second place and went to third, mm. the bike was sliding sideways. It he was just it? couldn't hold the line. No, no Then he had to right. try and hold it up. You can see at five laps from the end, his riding style changed so dramatically that basically it was, it was unfeasible. The yeah. bike was being lifted up to try and get it on a different section of the tire so it's faster, to try and get some better uh, some better traction. It just changed beyond all words. It was it was just incredible. This is it. Uh, it, it was it, again. He's another another incredible rider. He is. I don't think he gets the credit that, that he should be given, considering he jumped from Moto Three to Moto GP, and that was a huge huge challenge. And it could have gone you know completely the other way, to be honest. And I, I reckon you I know what he's, he's a really, really nice guy well. as well. Apparently, yes, he's, he's yeah, a really yeah, he's, nice yeah. guy. Yeah, he is a good guy. He's just one of those chaps that you could turn up and, he'd be, and you'd be like, Jackie's only down to my pitch. And he'd be like, oh, 
Yeah, yeah, man. Let's do it. That's we, it. We, we, he's from Queensland, yeah. where we are. So you know, he's a Queenslander. Where he's from? Well, he's got something going for him. Then hasn't he already? <laughs> <laughs> we were. Uh, what is it? There's there's this thing called a dust hustle. Um, it's put on by a local shop, and you just sort of you knock together a crazy looking bike. You put on a funny costume, and you go around this dirt Ran track, a flat track. Yeah. on a flat track with whatever people come out on Harley Davidsons and Groms and Aprilias. It was I was an RSV Millie on there one day, and so Jack had come out. And he came down during the off season and he had his little pit and he was hanging out and, and, and doing all this sort of stuff. And people are walking up and talking to him. He's just such a down to earth kid. Mm, yeah. And it's the same thing. His parents did exactly the same thing as Casey Stone's parents did. They, they packed him up. They, they sold everything and took him over to Europe so that they could go race. And it's that singular focus. I think is really what, uh, what, what, what counts when you come to, uh, you know, these great racers. That's right. No, no question. It's, um, Sorry, lads, I was losing you a little bit then. That's what counts, dedication and experience. If you can put together the dedication, the experience, and commit yourself like these guys have and like these guys do, and keep yourself uh, uh, um, humble at the same time, then you, my friend, are a winner. Well, speaking of experience, did you see the eyes on Rossi when he got back in the pits? Um, after the, after looked the like event, seen the ghost, didn't they? They were like, <laughs> those eyes were like saucers. I've never seen that man look like that at, at, that I remember in his whole career. Do you think this will this 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 will spur him to say that's it? I'm done. I'm retiring. That I, was it. I've had I had a couple of guys say, surely he'll go. I'm done. That's it. I, I don't need to race next year. Why would I bother? Um, I've got a team to manage. I'm making millions with apparel and all sorts of things. Do I, do I really need to do, put myself through this again? I would say probably no. Have we still got you? Oh. Are you still there? I think we watched you. Yeah, it'll be back in a moment. Bear with me a second. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and we're back. All right. Beautiful. Good. Did you hear the bit about Rossi and, and our predictions are, you know, at least uh, some speculation that having a motorcycle fly past your head a few centimeters away would spur you to say, that's it, I'm packing it in. Uh, I've, that, I, I've, I've, I've almost lost my life. I'm, I've had enough. Hold on a minute, man. Let me just go and turn a few. Uh, let me just go and deal with a, uh, a, a an internet connection. It looks like I've got a bit of an internet connection problem. Yep. No sure. worries. One second. You're right. I mean, it could be us. It could. It could be on this end. We, we live in a mountain. No, no. I think we've got uh, we've got limited bandwidth here, and um, somebody else just turned up with a mobile phone on watching videos. So, uh, so basically, it's, uh, it could well be that causing the problem. Upgrade. <laughs> it's Angelo. He works here. He's allowed to. He's, yeah. he's his thing, man. He's allowed to. <laughs> yeah, we were just saying that the, the Rossi experience on the weekend. Would you just go? I'm done. I don't need to race anymore after this. No, oh, we're, str- we're struggling. Sorry, lad. No, we're we're, we're, we're breaking up a little bit then. I apologise. No worries. <laughs> no worries. And look, it could be on our end. I live in a bit of a remote mountain community, so uh, the internet connection is not exactly the best on our end either. Did you, I, I don't know if any of that's coming through. <laughs> uh, anything? Yeah. No, I can I can hear you perfectly. Yeah, we've got Everything you, Everything you're doing, I can hear. Well, you can't hear us. I can I can see you, but you kind of keep dropping out, unfortunately. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, all right. Just let's you see. You keep going, lads, and I'll, I'll interrupt when you're back in. Well, I'll right. interrupt when we're back in. Okay. You can keep going. All right. So as we were saying, the um, the race of the weekend was was chaos, and it, obviously it hit the world news everywhere with all the incidents, with the crashes. Um, Zarco, 
unfortunately um, was called to the stewards uh, with the incident with Morbidelli and he has been given a penalty and his next MotoGP, which more than likely will be Masano, seeing he broke his scaphoid and that's been fixed up in, with surgery. And it looks like he'll be starting from pit lane um, in Masano, on his, on, which will be his next G- MotoGP. So a decent penalty. Um, you know, was it a malicious crash or anything like that? I'd probably say no, but they're saying basically careless riding. Yeah. If careless riding is he's going to get punished. Um, he sure. almost, I mean that that sort of stunt almost ended up killing a few people. It you know? could have killed people, and it could have injured people badly and yeah. ended people's careers. So I think he's lucky. Uh, Stunt for pick lane. It's it's yeah. not that bad, and I'd probably take that on the chin. Okay, if I was Rossi, just to go back to Rossi for a minute, yeah. And I saw the bike fly past my head <laughs> like that. Um, after that many years and being that old in, in your forties and then having that happen and knowing that you're, you've got millions of dollars and you've got your own race team now, um, yeah. would you go, would you come back next year? I no, mean, I wouldn't. I'd chuck it in. It's up in the air, right? We still don't know if he, in 2021, if, is he going to race for the satellite team or not? We well, don't know. it's supposedly, like, you know, everyone's thinking he is, but I think honestly, I, I'd just chuck it in and go, that's it. I don't yeah. need to ride Patronus and, um, let's just manage the VR 46 team and, um, have fun yeah, there. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that's it, exactly. Um, okay, so we're going to do the segment of the long and winding road, um, but what I'm what we're going to do right now is just uh, we're going to try to sort out an internet connection and try to make the call back to Griff again and see if we can't connect with him. He's sitting back down. Have you got us yet? Can you hear what we're saying? No. 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 We can see you perfectly. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I think what we're going to do... Um, I can hear bits. I yeah. can hear bits yeah. of information, but but that's it. I've just been to look and check to see if everything's yeah. okay this then. But I can hear little bits of it. But you keep breaking up. There's I'm, no video. I'm going to hang up and call you back. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we've we've got you back, Griff, which is good. Um, and the question that we were, we were posing to you uh, while the, the connection kept dropping off was if you were Valentino Rossi and had all those millions of dollars and knew that you were going to, you know, retirement was sort of on the horizon. You're going to a satellite team the following year. You've got an apparel company. You're making millions of dollars doing other things. And you see a motorcycle flash past your head within centimeters and almost die. Would you pack it in? No. Oh, you wouldn't. You'd, no. You'd no, because I'm Valentino Rossi, and because I'm not wired the same as everybody else, that's True. how it works. That's, it's that's... like looking at, um, if you, uh, I don't know if anybody knows this, a friend of mine, uh, who's a, a good friend of mine and a brilliant mechanic from Canada, uh, basically made a really, really good point. So uh, 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 if my mate Nico hears this, uh, um, it's, uh, I, I love you, man, and, and he made a very, very good point. This. Everybody was focusing on Rossi when that went by, but Vinales had to move back when exactly. he uh, when the yep. bike fight, and basically the the wheel, the back wheel of one of the bikes actually touched the chin bar of his helmet. Really? If you look at Valentino Rossi's face when he was sitting in the paddock, he did actually look like he'd seen a ghost. He did. Yep. But he's not wired the same as everybody else. He came fifth. Vinales just absolutely lost his way a little bit in that one and uh, that last race, and um, and, and couldn't get it back together again. He's not wired the same as everybody else. If you look at the way it was, he's got a reset button. And mm. people with that kind of experience who've got that reset button can do that. Now, right. I've, I'm not saying that I'm wired the same or anything along those lines, but I've been around enough fierce uh, and fiercely dedicated and professional racers in my time to know that that reset button is basically just... Um, I mean, the legend, the, the man himself, Snox, in, in our workshop calls it, keep your head a wobble. 
Yeah. You yeah. keep your head wobble and you crack on because that is your job and that's what you do. And that you could see exactly what happened because I've seen film of him doing similar things before. Mm. Yes, he has got retirement on the horizon. Yes, he's going to a satellite team. He doesn't need the money, but he is a fiercely dedicated racer and that is what makes him so special. And how, how do you find... Marquez is going to go here. Obviously, the man's busted up and he's going to miss a few races. Quattararo has got a cracking lead. He's struggling, well, last weekend, and um, I'm going to assume he's probably going to struggle you know, um, this weekend now. So it's opening the season up a little bit, and it's obviously a crazy year with, with COVID and all the rest of it. Is, is Rossi, oh, sorry, is Marquez going to come out when he gets back, let's say, Masano, and going to go like the old um, Marquez that we know where... It was get out of my way. I'm coming through at all costs. Do you think he'll he'll switch back to that? Yeah, he has to. I think That's so his too. Job. Yeah. That's what it is. I think you're absolutely right, Steve. I think he's going to go absolutely hell for leather, and the only thing that he's going to stop him would be his fitness, without any question. There's, there's, if you're a racer with that kind of uh, with that kind of mentality, and if yep. you're wired that way, you've got one speed, and that is flat out fast as you can, win, win, win at all costs. Yep, right. I mean, look at when he came out before. Didn't he have a? Didn't he bend some kind of pin in his arm, or or or, or did yeah. he bend bend some rod or something? That's yeah, the guy was been him, away yeah. for a week, and he bent bent the rod for crying out loud that he shouldn't have even been there. That that's the kind of dedication you or I yeah. would be would be crawling around on our sofas complaining <laughs> and expecting right. to be fed. Yeah. Some tea and, and coffee, you know. But uh, but these guys the, aren't then wide the question, the same. Then I'll put you, Griff. Is remember the Marquez that would come through and very, very, very close to the edge and people are going, you've got to be kidding me, as he pushed people through and, you know, right on the edge, does he, will he come out like a lunatic and actually become maybe a, a, a tiny bit dangerous? No, I don't think he'll be no. dangerous. I think he'll be Marquez, which is the way he rides. I think there's only one way that he's, uh, if you see his style and if you've watched his style run from when he was a kid, he's always been the same. He's always been fast and loose. There's yeah. different types of riders. If you imagine... Um, there was Gary McCoy, who was uh, who was a slide master. Then there was um, Nori Yukihaga again okay. as well. Yeah. They've all yeah. got their styles. I think Marquez knows one way to ride that bike, and that is just how, how he's always ridden it. He will ride that bike that way until his body says no. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm waiting for Masano if he does sort of kick yeah, in we'll there because up. I cannot wait to see what he does um, considering you know, the, the, the lead he's going to have to chase. It's going to be very, very I, – I still think, even though it's a crazy year, this is going to be one of the best seasons you'll ever see. Yeah. It's been certainly quite dramatic, hasn't it, it uh, has. with so far? Right. That's it. And what about Zarko? I mean, did, you know, he's been pinged. Um, he's starting for pit lane, Rightfully most likely so. in, in Masano. So. Um, did, you, did you really see it was that bad? Or, I mean, they didn't really focus too much on it on, on the telecast that I saw, but um, obviously the stewards have seen otherwise and they've decided that um, Zarko you know, has been called in there and they've pinged him. I didn't see the event, to be honest with you, mate. I couldn't really comment on that one. I didn't see it. So I have to apologise. Yeah, I'm the same. I, I, I saw bugger all because of, because it was all focused on Vignali's, on Rossi, and everything else. More Bedelli. You didn't see a lot of what happened. So, um, but the stewards have obviously you know, made the call and they've pinged him. So he'll start from pit lane at uh, Masada more than likely. Yeah. The, the Moto Three race was the same, wasn't it? Didn't with the first, uh, second, and third place. Didn't they get um, yes. uh, one place demotion? That's which right. meant John uh, John McPhee got a, a podium when he was V six. Yep. 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 
That's right. He did. Yeah, exactly. Exactly so, the same. But, but rules are rules, lads. That's, oh, that's it. That's it. the way and, it is. And, 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 and away we go. see what happens this weekend. Same, same place. Um, it's going to be very interesting to sort of see how it pans out um, Sunday night, our time over here. So it's Sunday morning, Sunday I afternoon, your time. I am absolutely on it. No question. I am glued <laughs> there already because I think, like you said, I think um, uh, the Ducati squad may well have... Uh, I think uh, Gigi uh, has made his decision, and I think um, I think Dobby is is an older rider, and I think it was the same scenario as maybe Pedroso, when he's not actually ever won uh, won a championship or, yeah. or, or, or won a championship for them. But um, but but basically, I kind of think that that may well have been a mistake for Ducati. Yeah, yeah I, I think, I think so you're well. right. You know, I think it would have been a good pairing having Dobby with Jack Miller, and that would have been you know the master and the apprentice sort of thing. I think that would have gone down very, very well, but I, I think, think you're absolutely right, man. Yeah. The good thing about a, about a team is, is that if you have the experience and you have aggression in a team, and if you have that and you can put that together, um, I, I think if you remember uh, Rossi and Colin Edwards, when they were in Yamaha, when they were at Yamaha, yep. those guys were absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it kind of changed, didn't it? That's when, uh, um, like you said, the, the Spanish guy, what was his name? Oh, gosh. Uh, I even mentioned his name earlier on. I'm really sorry. Strange uh, how it come, how you forget things when you're under pressure, isn't it? Or hey, Lorenzo, that's right. it. That, that changed the dynamic in the team quite dramatically, didn't it? So it the, the, the walls went up and it all went a little bit, uh, it all got a little bit strange, but. When yeah, Colin Edwards and Valentino Rossi were in the team, that was that was a force to be reckoned with. That's right. Like it was simpatico, and then as soon as Jorge came along, it was it was a little bit more about the Hatfields and McCoys, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. yeah. I was uh, again. It's all about a team dynamic, which is what makes me go back to the idea that I think possibly that uh, that Ducati may well have made a mistake at that point. Hmm. Well, the, whatever the mistake is, maybe Aprilia will pick up on the mistake and do a bit of a benefit, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, I well, also, I'm, I'm flying that flag, baby. I'm flying yeah, that flag. <laughs> we both are as well. Um, <laughs> it's just interesting that you know, just to, just to go back to the to the discussion about Aprilia and their the, the amount of money that they've got. Um, I was talking to a fellow named Francesco and he sort of runs the internal garage for, uh, for the sponsors and he handles all the sponsors coming in and out. And he'd taken us across, um, at pit lane when during qualifying and we're having a chat with him about, uh, you know, about funding. And he said that Aprilia operates on the budget that's, uh, that Honda has. So Aprilia is 10%. That, that's the amount of money. They, they've got 10% of what Honda's got to do the same job. And if Honda's spending a hundred million, Aprilia's got 10. And so it's Can amazing. For you from, uh, from a manufacturer's perspective in this particular instance, let me put things into perspective for you. Now, um, if you look at, uh, I think it's Hamamatsu that, uh, that a Suzuki have, uh, that where, they're, where their plant is, their manufacturing plant in yeah. Japan. That, I think the last time, and I'm, I'm, you can't quote me on these figures, but I remember, seem to remember they have an 18 square mile plant uh, for, for manufacturing for their motorcycle plant in Hamamatsu. Yep. Now, if you imagine that kind of thing going on for, for Suzuki, who are a, a, a big, big concern. Now, um, if you look at Aprilia, they have about a kilometre and a half square, and that would be their assembly plant and their storerooms and their sort of work on it. If you imagine, right. I don't know if you can cast your mind back, Ron, yep. when you came to see our workshops, the car park outside of our workshops would be the same size, would be the, about the same shape as the assembly line. So right. um, I've got, I think we've probably got... Uh, I don't know, 12, 12 assembly plants where, or 12 assembly points where it goes on the assembly plant. So it, it's not even, you know, 
two miles, two kilometres squared potentially, um, which is what Aprilia run with, yet um, Suzuki run with 18 to 20 square kilometres. When you go in the gate at Suzuki, they give you a little electric car to find your way around. (laughs) When you walk in the plant at Suzuki, at at Aprilia, they take the passports off you and uh, and send you on your way with a smile and a nod. That's right. That's it. We are talking almost cottage uh, 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 sort of industry compared yeah. to what mm. we're dealing with here. So if you look at what sort of Aprilia are dealing with, and then you look at what Suzuki are dealing with, it's a completely different ball game. So I think they're doing a pretty admirable job they considering the, uh, yep. the 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 kind of uh, the battle they're, they're getting into. It's a bit of a a bit of a giant killer for for what they're getting away with at the moment. I think, but um, you know, yeah. like I said, it can be done. KTM are doing it. Yeah, exactly. Do you think that they're stretching themselves a bit far because now they've got a wild card in the WSBK as well, so they're spending money on that end? Any development that they can get on chassis development and brakes and forks and chassis and suspension or even engine longevity or anything along those lines is absolutely vital because basically the only thing, like I said, I think it was Ray, uh, and I'll quote him again, um, the only thing that, that you can't buy is experience. Right, true. Right. Uh, and there's no substitute for track time. That's it. You get yourself out there, however you can do it. And if you can put yourself out there in a public forum, it, it's a bit of a double-edged sword. You know, if you don't, if you don't give them the results, then people will cuss you. If you do give them the results, you're the best thing yes. since sliced bread. Exactly. But you, yep. you've got to get out there and try it. So, you know, I mean, I, I take my hat off to them. I really do. I, I know some of the boys that work there and, and some of the boys that worked in that team and it's not the easiest thing in the world to do mm. with that kind of budget. So uh, I, I take my hat off to them and, and I and I would... Uh, I am I am available if they if they need me. <laughs> can, can we hold your bags for you, Griff? Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. Well, I'll meet you out there and, uh, and we'll, we'll get everybody involved in it. You know, if we could make it a, a, a proper team then, couldn't we? Very, very good. Now, speaking of development, Griff, now, you know, you, you have your workshop and you're, you're, you're a legend with all that Aprilia technology and all the, all, the, all the V4s and everything else there. What's your thoughts on electric bikes? Oh, do, do you know what? It doesn't matter what you say, how you say it, or, or, or whatever your perspective on it is, um, is... E- e-bikes, electric bikes yeah. are the future so yeah, far. Yeah. Um, you, you, you don't don't let it sort of get involved or get left behind. The dinosaurs died because they didn't they didn't you know they didn't if you if you want to say the because they didn't develop um, e-bike electric bikes are the future. Now I'm uh, I'm going to confess a little confession. I do ride a mountain bike at. Uh, at the weekends just to try and keep a little bit of fitness yeah. and I have got an e-bike, an electric mountain bike and it is the future as far as I'm concerned. Right. I oh, absolutely man. wish we could all embrace it, realise it, um, open our minds and go and have a go. Once you've had a go, um, come back and tell me you didn't like it and I'll believe you. But if you don't, haven't had a go and, and you still tell me you don't like it, then you're a dinosaur. All right. Well, True. well, that's what we're going to discuss on the next part of the show on the Long and Winding Road and we'll, we'll dissect our electric bike experience and then compare it to <laughs> what you know and yeah. then let's see what we come up with, eh? All right, so just give let's, it a... Let's do it. All right, all right, then listeners, uh, we're, we're now going on to the Long and Winding Road section and here we go. Okay, welcome back. So, uh, Long and Winding Road, and the topic for today is electric bikes. And Steve and I, um, 
We took out these E E Moto V sorry V Moto V Moto Soco Super, super Soco, Soco electric bike slash scooters. Yeah, Super Soakers, Super Soco. Um, it was an interesting thing. The company decided that they wanted to try to, to do a test ride or a test ride event and get a bunch of people come to come out and test the bike to see if they could get. Um, you know, get the market segment interested in their, in their offering. It's a Chinese bike. Um, and so Steve and I decided what the hell, you know, oh. this is not our segment. This is not something that we want to, you know, that, that we're, we're that interested in, but uh, you know, we got to keep our minds open and wanted to go out and test these things out and see, uh, see, see what they were, they were going to deliver. So we, we went down there at about one o'clock this afternoon. It was a windy, cold day uh, <laughs> and walked to the dealership and they were supposed to have two of the super Saco uh, TC mech. Which is a cafe cafe racer yeah. style sort of one two five sort of size one two five bike. equivalent, and they were supposed to have two of them charged up for us for us to take them out. And uh, they only had one, and they had one dealer plate, and I had to pressure them to get a second dealer plate. And then they sent us out on that the Super Saco TC. Um, was it the TC Max? And then they gave us another Super Saco, uh, which was the. Um, <laughs> The, the tiny little thing with it with the motor that was in the hub is more of a a scooter slash mountain bike um maybe 50 cc worth of maybe madness <laughs> and we we took these two things out um we had a bit of a fun but uh i went out on the the um the super saco tc max first and steve followed me followed behind me in the little thing and steve was going maybe 30 kilometers per hour and he got pretty frustrated man i was i was pinning this thing and i was in the push bike lane that's where I had to sit. <laughs> I, I, I was holding up traffic. I'm waving to Rod to slow down on the other bike. Um, it was embarrassing. I was getting frustrated. Um, there was no noise. I was working with that as well. Um, I had a, a front brake, front brake, and a back brake on my handlebars. Yeah, it's like a bicycle. It was and even the other one was like a bicycle. It, the one it, I was on. I would say it wasn't a fun experience for me on the first leg of that ride, to be honest. <laughs> so we we ended up trying to take it up into the mountains and, and sort of the hinterland roads, where's all the twisty roads and stuff like that to do a bit of a review video stop the bikes to have a bit of a chat but we we had to abandon mission about five kilometers away from the point the point that we wanted to go to because the little one that steve was on just was not cooperating and didn't want to go very far um the dealership passed us this bike with a 30 percent charge um and the other one that I was on, of course, had 100% charge, but uh, we ended up having to, to stop at a different spot and then didn't even run, put that, that little thing through its paces. And we went and both of us shared the other one. And the other one was interesting because it had, uh, you know, if, of course, it's got it is belt drive. So the motor's up in the front and then it's belt drive to go to the back. Um, it's got hydraulic brakes front, um, front and rear. Um, and, and of course, disc brakes. And then in the front, uh, of course, the handlebars had brakes. So you got your, your, your front brake on your right-hand side, your back brake on your left. So it's a very, very strange experience of almost feeling like you're on a bicycle, but being on this thing that's a little bit wider. It had a fair bit of torque. It would get you up to about 80 kilometers an hour pretty quickly. Um, but there was a bit of cavitation in the suspension, uh, and I found it a bit, little bit uneasy. And I, of course, rode up on a uh, 2013 Ducati Multistrada 1200 uh, with a full termy system and, and all this sort of stuff. And I come off that bike and jumped on this little thing. So it was quite the the contrast of experiences to get on this little thing and, and go up the road. Um, what did you think of uh, of the other one? 
Um, I mean, the one that yeah, I was on. yeah the, take the little one out of the way. It, it was it was a mistake by the dealer to give us that one to, to take off because it was always going to struggle and it was just a bit silly. So we should have really just borrowed one of the other bikes. They are a, um, a Kawasaki dealer, so they should have given us one of the Kawasaki's to follow. But anyway, we, we did swap the bikes and I got on it and because I'd been on the slower very underpowered one. When I got on the one that Ron was on, the, the Cafe Racer style, I actually had a ball. It was it was flying compared to the other bike. I, I was doing about 95, 100 downhill. Speed was fine. Um, it was very quiet. Didn't mind it at all. Um, Ron won't mind me admitting that um, I'm a little bit lighter than Ron is. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I probably found that um, my frame probably suited this little thing. Um, I'm, I'm probably, you know... Um, 11 stone ring and wet. So it, it, it suited me and I actually quite enjoyed it. And the power was fine. Um, the, the, the throttle response I thought was quite good. Um, plenty torque, plenty, torque from the start, plenty yeah. of zip as soon as you started twisting that throttle, you know, it went, it went well. The brakes I got used to on, on sort of the second or third um, lap on it. I didn't mind the fact that you had a back brake on the handlebars you know, and the right brake was, there was a front brake. So that all went well. I enjoyed it. I didn't mind it. It gave me a better experience than the first bike. And I would say I probably, the last run, I probably embraced it, to be honest. Except that, you know, uh, the bike is listed here at $7,900. And I, I don't think that that price point, uh, the bike's worth it. No, the, 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 the smaller bike was about five and a half grand Australian. And to be honest, that's what I'd pay for the better, larger bike. Yeah. I certainly wouldn't pay, you know, the 8000 mark. Right. So, you know, that's that's where I'd probably, yeah. the price point I think it should be at. Griff, are you still with us? Yes, I'm still oh, here, mate. Okay, good, good, good. Uh, just wasn't sure. We weren't hearing very much, very much from, from you. Obviously, we, we, we kept talking, though, so maybe you just didn't want to interrupt us. So, have oh, you, honestly, have, I was just listening to what you were saying, having yeah. a, um, a little bit of experience with electric bikes. I kind of... Um, you're you're dealing with Chinese entry level commuter bikes Correct, on the right. yeah, on, yeah. A, on a very very small level that are that are still very very new and I've not heard of the manufacturer so I'm kind of thinking this is kind of like the first step in their first step maybe into the sort of electric motorcycle market. I, I think yeah. so, Have any yeah. of you guys actually read any reviews of the sort of the bigger super bikes? I think there's. Um, a couple of manufacturers like called Zero Motorcycles, yeah, that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, have, you, yeah. have, you, have you ridden these? We've no, not, no. not ridden the Zero. This is our first experience with electric bikes, to be honest. I think, um, I think basically, um, for, for town riding, for people that just need to go a couple of miles down the road yep. and that are that are just going to sort of nip, nip in and out of town, the kind of bikes that you were riding then might well be sort of better suited. But for for for, for, for guys like yourselves who are more suited or are more experienced and potentially would use it for a different thing, I think perhaps you know like these zero bikes, the the, the sort of more sort of akin to, to sort of bigger superbikes would yep. be a better, a different experience altogether. I think without any question, once they've got reliability and they've got mileage organized with this kind of thing, yep. I'm convinced that this is, uh, this is going to be the future. I've yep. spoken to people that have ridden these bikes and they are stunned by the acceleration of them. And anybody that can get an electric bike, uh, um, we've got quite a few TT races that, that live around by us as well. Yeah. It can do uh, the zero TT, uh, over 100 mile an hour laps on these bikes. Yeah, I was at TT last year, Griff, and, you know, the, the experience of the TT for the first time was great as it was, but then I was waiting to see how the zero race went. And, um, yeah, when McGuinness goes past on the, um, on the Mergen, I went, holy, yes. holy cow, could not believe what that thing was doing when it was an electric bike. Yep. But it's, it's noiseless. 
Yes. Uh, compared the to the superbike, it's <laughs> noiseless. It's just it's wind noise and tire noise, and Correct. it's a completely different experience. Yes, yeah. right. Uh, yeah. uh, and if you, if you can get your head around that kind of thing, then and like I said, once they've got reliability and they've got mileage involved in it, and, and we've got this. Uh, sustainability because uh, uh, there, there's obviously an environmental impact on this there as is, well yeah. sure. um, the once they've got this sustainability stuff. involved yeah. in it then I, I truly believe that uh, that you know that they are the future I don't know if you guys have ever been any in electric cars certainly electric cars are I've, I've certainly a, the um, I've, I've been in a Tesla that was interesting uh, incredibly interesting I think it was the term I used yeah <laughs> when I got in it yeah, it took my bloody breath away. Yeah. I was, if we can get motorcycles to do that, then the tire guys are going to have to step their game up, no question. Well, yeah. I think it's just it's down to battery technology now. Really, I think that's what the issue Absolutely. is: the longevity and, and, the, and the amount of charge you can put out, uh, reliability, yeah. um, sustainability, and and cost. Uh, and you know what? I'm I'm convinced it's the future, and I look forward to it because yeah. uh, if, if if I can ride something that gives me a a, a new experience with motorcycling then I'm all game for it. Yeah, yeah. well, look, look at the Moto E races, Griff. I mean, at first I thought, oh, we'll see. Honestly, I, I'm enjoying the Moto E races when they're on. You know, they're only about, what, five or six when a normal season. But um, the Moto yeah. E races, I've, I've found once you put aside there's no combustion noise, I've quite enjoyed the Moto E racing. Yep. It's still as competitive, isn't it? I it mean, is. you've got to look at the people who are racing that series, for crying out loud. You know, this, these are these are some heavyweights that are racing sure that are. series, yeah. And, yeah. and they are truly gifted uh, uh, riders uh, that have, it's just like I said it's just a new media that we can use for this kind of thing and, and as far as I'm concerned if anybody if you can keep on two wheels and we can keep two wheels sustainable for the future then I'll, I'll count me in Yes, like certainly. And, and I, I truly do believe I have no illusions. I love my internal combustion engines. I've been taking with them forever. Um, I love my motorcycles. I love the sound. I love the vibration, the exhaust tones, but I am under no illusions that, that, that we're going to be able to continue with this type of lifestyle and that soon enough, I believe in my lifetime and probably ours in the next decade, we may end up even seeing that it's going to be very rare for us to be able to bring these machines back onto the road again. And uh, based on the environmental concerns and, and the way the world's looking, we could end up seeing a ban on these vehicles. And if I want to be on two wheels, I may as well embrace this. I, I, have, I have no misconceptions about this and I'm, I'm not one of these people to be like, oh, that's it. I, I, I can't ride my uh, on my internal combustion engine motorcycle on the road. That's it. I'm done. I'm going to continue riding as long as they'll let me, you know? It's two wheels, boys. It's two it wheels. I remember very vividly the first time I ever rode a Harley Davidson with a foot clutch and hand gear change. It was so <laughs> difficult. I, 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 but it was but it was an enlightening experience, which has made me, which opened my mind. So if I can get on a, an electric bike that has more torque than... Uh, that you know than a, than a V4 superbike that we yeah, ride yeah. now nowadays with no noise. Count me in. I'm in for it. Hundred percent. Have you seen that? Uh, that and speaking of, of the really really high end electric bikes, have you seen the um, said LS1 Lightning? That thing's uh, yeah. insane. I've, I've seen pictures and I, and I and I I've read people's um, words and I don't think they kind of uh, they can. Uh, I think when you know when you when you're a writer, I've certainly written a few magazine articles in my time and stuff like that. But being able to get your words over in such a way that that it brings out the actual experience is very very difficult. And I could see these guys and I could feel these guys stumbling over their words because the amount of talk that the electric motors 
yeah. dish out right from the start can be absolutely, it can be momentous and take your breath away, which is something I'm really excited for. Well, right. we've, we've got the release of the um, Harley Davidson Livewire here in Australia in September. Yeah, and we're going to go check I've, not, I've not ridden one. I've, no, I've heard no. about them and I've seen well, them, but I've not ridden one, they, definitely. They, they had them on demo uh, just before COVID hit in Brisbane here, and we went out and had a look. They didn't start them. It was just a static sort of display in the shop, and we went out and, uh, they, you know, you sat on them, they let you jump on these things that quite nice you know considering what it was you, know, you weren't yeah. sure what it was going to be yeah. but it's it sat well it felt good and the guy said he said listen you know once we get the demos in and we're going to use them you're welcome to come back and yep. if you don't want to buy one you can take one out for a spin so we will definitely be doing that in september october and i'm dying oh, to i see love it. the fact that you're open-minded enough to be able to go out there and yeah and just, oh, just yeah. ride everything that's what it's all about that's two it, wheels right. yep so we'll, t- we'll take some video when we get on the um, the live wire and um, we'll see how we go on that uh, one because I think it'll be a completely I'm different a- experience than today. Yeah. <laughs> I subscribe to your page, boys. I'm actually on your pages. I'll watch what goes on definitely. I look forward to that without very, question. Very good. Very good. It's, like, it's almost like chalk and cheese compared to what we wrote today in the way, I think. <laughs> um, mind you, the sticker on that Harley Davidson live wire here is $50,000. So it is definitely priced <laughs> way up there. They've apparently had seven orders. Some, seven people have gone to put their money down on them. So there's a bit of market exception, but... I, I don't, you know, 50 grand is a fair bit to lay down on a motorcycle, you know? Mate, that, that's more than I paid for my house. Oh, no. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, this Not is for me. That'll equate to all about 25,000 pounds. Yeah. And it's a lot, a lot of money, you know? Yeah. As like I said, I think that, that, that all comes under the sustainability, isn't it? As soon as yeah. you can get the sort of sustainability, the price right. The reliability, those things are going to take off. I've got no questions. I think so. Cer- yeah. Certainly, certainly. Um, okay, so aside from electric bikes, well, actually, one more question for you. I'm actually contemplating, so you can get on, on eBay and a couple of other places and find Teslas that have been crashed and buy one of the drive units out of the, 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 the car. And because they're usually a, an all-wheel drive car, there's a drive unit for each tire. And apparently that drive unit puts out a, a fair bit of horsepower and you can get controllers to run these things. The drive unit will cost you a six, a six to $7,000 Australian, which is about 3,500 quid. And uh, the controller itself, which you can build uh, for, for probably another thousand to $2,000. If you've got a frame, you can tinker with one of these things and put an electric bike together. And I've been sort of thinking about doing that and getting uh, an Olin's front end, some good suspension. And somebody's given me a Ducati 900 SS frame. And um, well, that might be my next project. But I just I don't know if I'd be getting in over my head trying to play with this sort of thing. Have you thought, Griff, have you thought about doing something like that in your shop and building something out of you know one of the frames you've got kicking around? Yes, uh, we have thought about it. Yes, we've dealt with it. Yes, we've looked into the feasibility of it. And yes, it's certainly something that we've considered. Uh, certainly when um, the applications opened and it was mentioned for the zero race on the TT, we certainly um, were approached by a few people, a few teams that wanted us to do the fabrication work, mounting the, mounting the engines and the frames, that kind of thing, to, uh, to build these bikes. Um, because uh, the Aprilia RS125 engine or chassis is quite small. Yeah. Um, and we're quite familiar with that particular product. So basically, was um, we were approached, but the sort of financial um, part of it was kind of restricted, just simply because of the time involved in kind of putting that together. Mm. I've I also been approached by a few other uh, manufacturers last year, believe it or not, and I know the whole COVID thing put things uh, uh, put a, uh, put the kibosh on things, but um, 
So basically, um, we were approached last year by a manufacturer who was, uh, who was um, or a company that was looking for somebody to develop this particular product. Um, all about electric bikes, which is which is why I say again, it's just it is the future. It doesn't matter whether we like it or not; it is going to be the future. But yeah, certainly something that's worth considering. And I think um, at this particular point, if we weren't so in, uh, sort of uh, uh, sort of stuck with, we're not stuck at sort of involved with the products and with the company that we've got at the moment, yep. building the Aprilia product that's here and um, supporting the products in the uh, in the UK and worldwide market, then. Um, it would certainly be something that would be fascinating and, and just incredible to uh, to have the opportunity to work with, definitely. Oh, certainly. <laughs> do it, Ron. Oh, do it, Ron. Get that, get that motor. <laughs> so we got that. Get that motor. Get that motor and get that frat chassis. And, and perhaps you might want to do something better than a 900 SS frame, though, because that Shelly's <laughs> frame isn't... isn't uh, I don't know if that would hold the weight of those batteries that you're going to need to make that go. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. There, I mean, there are other frames out there, and I, I think you know you you brought it up. There's there's somebody I know that's got an, um, a crashed. Well, the RS125 frame is good. It's just been written off, so it can't be on the road. And I could probably pick it up for a song. Yeah, and maybe grab that and put an electric motor into that. But you think that that uh, that that tube frame, not not that that frame. Um, the RS125 frame would do better in holding up the battery in the motor than a Ducati SS frame? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, the, the tubular frames are very, very good, but the idea of a 900 SS frame, which was probably developed in the 80s and 90s, uh, depending on what year it was, I don't think that would be strong enough to start taking the weight of the batteries and the motor and the kind of potential forces that you're going to put through it, to be honest with you. I'd right. start looking at something with an aluminium beam chassis for sure. Okay. All right. Well, that's, that's good advice taken. I'll, I'll maybe I'll see if I can pawn this uh, or, you know, do some other project with the, with the 900 SS frame and then maybe get the RS125 frame and, and start doing, start doing something with that. It, it is a sexier looking frame anyway. I've always loved the, uh, the way the Aprilia, Aprilia's designed their frames. So, there's, uh, there's, there's some, there's some, what, what about an RSV frame, something along those lines? That would be, uh, that'd give you a bit of space as well, man. An RSV frame would do nicely. It would, it would. And if you stuff a bigger motor in there and put, put a good chunk of batteries in with a, with the capability of a fast charge, then it may just be. There's, the all, there's always room for more power, isn't there? That's right. There's always <laughs> room for more power. <laughs> it's exactly right. Um, Okay, so moving on, um, what's the riding scene like in UK right now with uh, with restrictions and things like that? Are people getting out on their bikes? Are you getting traffic coming to your shop? Yeah, basically the last month has been a sort of um, almost back to normal. Um, it was kind of strange when it all broke down or when it all stopped in March, I think it was, wasn't it? Um, it was, yeah. Our Prime Minister Boris himself, that uh, um, when he said, uh, when he said no more, that on Monday, on, it was a Monday night that he said, that's it, we're, we're shutting everything down, um, we've got to stop. We had four weeks worth of work booked into the workshops um, here at AP Workshops, and basically that emptied, uh, the diary emptied overnight, which I don't mind telling you, I think the world fell out of my backside at that particular point as a oh, business yeah, owner. Surprised. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so basically, but, and what happened surprisingly is that um, when when the workshops emptied two days later, the mail order system just absolutely exploded. So everybody who was at home um, being told to stop where they were and say what they thought, right, this is the opportunity. They got their bikes out, they pulled the spanners out, they opened the garage doors, and everybody got stuck in, which absolutely, without question, kept us going. No problem. So, um, 
all of, all of the things that uh, that we had been ignoring on our motorcycles, I think, ended up being solved because we, I, I was down there myself as well, sort of looking around to see what I needed and you know how I could get a particular project going that I had been ignoring because of the the daily grind of life was keeping me from from paying attention to them. And I mean, you everybody helped, you helped was the same. I think. Out, yeah, you helped me out and sent me some bits during the time. But uh, yeah, everybody was got stuck in, got one of the the phone. The phone was absolutely ringing off the hook. Um, spare parts were going out. It was it was just absolute bedlam, but but just brilliant. And I'm truly grateful to everybody that uh, that, that rings the shop and that gets involved with us because, like I said, we wouldn't get to do this without these people. And I and I, and I truly believe that, and I'm truly grateful. That's a question, Griff. How have you found spare parts from Italy coming through to the UK? Because it's it seems like it's taking a while for parts to get over to to, to us here at the moment. I'm, I'm waiting on a, um, a quick shifter for my 2019 Super Sports, and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And this thing, it's on order, but we don't know when this thing's going to turn up. And um, so, this is what happened basically, as far as I can see from uh, from my contacts around Italy. Um, Italy was was kind of one of the hubs of of the. Of the, the difficulties during this time, yeah, and, and basically, people in Italy, certainly northern Italy, which is where Noirely is, yep. Um, yep. was on lockdown. Yeah, you, yeah. If you watch films of what was going on in Italy, there was people pointing guns at you if you were out in the streets, that yeah, kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. this was a real lockdown. And I think, um, I think Bologna also ended up getting hit as well, too, didn't they? That whole area uh, really, really I, ended up taking a crack. I have friends um, still in northern Italy that I worked with at the factory that I still speak to, and uh, and basically they said it is absolutely the streets are desolate. So it was it was a very difficult time for Italy at that particular point, and and and, uh, and I think at this particular point things kept moving slightly and slowly and carefully and stuff. But I think what's happened at the moment is it's, it's getting a little bit difficult just recently, just because I think the stocks that they had in the warehouses were being sent out at that particular point. But the manufacturers that were stocking those warehouses were closed. So yeah, now right. we've got to that point where now the manufacturers are starting to open. The okay. warehouses are now being slowly restocked. Um, so it's just a little bit of catch up. And I think in this instance, maybe just a little bit of patience. We'll see everything come right again. But uh, yeah. if you if you kind of um, just be a little bit patient with, uh, with it's not just Aprilia that are suffering. I know if you have a look at Honda, yep. uh, they're, they're all the same. Everybody's the same. It, it, all the car manufacturers are struggling. It's just it's just that little bit of catch up. It's been a strange old year for sure. Sure has. It certainly has. And uh, I, honestly, this I think this this pandemic has really shone a light on our globalized society and the way we rely on this, this idea of this just on time delivery of parts um, and the way things fly back and forth with, you know, with, with, uh, with shipments and stuff and how we used to things we are where we just click a button and something shows up in four or five days and how this has turned all of it on its head and, and made us a lot more patient. I think I've become a lot more patient about life after this has happened. I think it's been a really good reset button to be honest with you. It's not a nice thing to have to happen to anybody, but basically for humanity, it's been a big reset button, and I kind of truly believe that's a great thing, yeah. whatever it is. You know, uh, neighbors were talking to each other. Uh, you know, we would, we were, we were sitting on Facebook pages and forums talking about how excited we were to get out and ride our bikes once we once the restrictions had been lifted. Yeah. Um, and then you know, you'd see people that had gone out for a sneaky ride, and you could almost feel how infectious their excitement was. It's, <laughs> it's just that that sort of absence makes the heart grow fonder. I think maybe in this does, instance. Yeah. And I mean, we, we, and I think, I think it increased contact amongst people instead of people just sort of stuck in their screens. We started making phone calls to each other and, and you know, checking in on each other, which is really needed as well. 
Yeah, beautiful. The biking community and sort of the motorcycling community is a, always has been a fairly tight knit community as well. And, and since you, you sort of take that away from people, then then you kind of you find out what what it's really like. So I, I, I like I said, the support that we got at the shop here was just incredible. Yeah. Yeah, definitely is. Uh, yeah, and, and and I was happy to hear that. You know, because I was often made, made a few phone calls and was sort of concerned with some of the people that I knew in the industry and and uh, understanding what was going on. There's some shops here that we know that were struggling a little bit, and it was really good to get to see that you guys. Apparently, Snox was so so stressed out because of the amount of orders that were coming in that he was uh, that he was he was a little bit freaked out about how how he was going to get everything out and keep it all organized. Which is, it was yeah. it was it was a it was a logistical nightmare, <laughs> a logistical nightmare. Cool. The, Knox is a pretty cool cat for sure, definitely. Yes. Uh, and and he was uh, he was up against it. In fact, there was, there was myself and Angelo, uh, the guy that just turned off. He, he he's floating around in the background at the moment. But uh, we were the guys here that were sort of picking and packing the post and doing that kind of stuff. So yeah. um, the guys that we got here during that time were, were just incredible. I mean, just incredible. I know. I know. A lot of shops shop we didn't we kept going and and we kept sorting things out here and like I said that it, it's all credit to uh, to, to to the guys that work here it was just that that was a difficult time the post guys were struggling but you know what we kind of worked through it because that's the way we work that's, that's it, it. Yeah. yeah well even here Griff it's it's been funny because the the, the motorcycle industry like you know at retail level was was hitting a pretty big flat spot prior to COVID. It wasn't great. The motorcycle sales were dropping and COVID hits. The government do a thing here where pre um, end of financial year and post end of financial year, you could draw $10,000 in each half um, from your superannuation. Which is a retirement fund. Yeah, you know, your retirement money yeah. or your pension, whatever they call it in England. And um, so, so guys, we, you know, people get access to that if you're qualified. And used motorcycles were just leaving the lot like you would not believe. They reckon a lot of people were coming in, obviously spent their, uh, picked up their 10, and they're either using the 10 itself or adding three or four to it and picking up motorcycles. And the dealers couldn't could not get enough stock. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I found. Um, I was speaking to my friend. I've got a friend of mine who uh, runs a, a dealership over in uh, over in Oz as well. I was speaking to him, my friend Dave. He was uh, Dave he was saying exactly how it was. Uh, Dave Ward, yeah, yeah he's, he's a, a great guy. friend of mine and, yeah. and a, a genius when it comes to building engines and a brilliant engine, especially yeah. absolute genius. Um, he, I was speaking to him about it all over the uh, all over that particular period, and he was explaining exactly what was going on as well. So it was. Uh, it seems to have been a familiar story everywhere. Mm. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And, and interestingly, um, the the price I used, used to be able to before COVID hit, you could pick, go out and pick up a, a cool little Biaggi uh, one two five two stroke uh, replica um, bike for about two thousand to twenty five hundred dollars. And as a result of this sort of thing, with people sitting around wondering what they're going to do and spending the money, they've they've, they've jumped up by by uh, I think another fifteen hundred dollars. Now they're worth about four four and a half. So it's just interesting to see some of these things in the surge of, of, uh, of value in some of these older motorcycles just because people had the access to that money and started buying them. And now they're becoming collectors and been starting to become rare. So Yeah, it, it, it's turned the whole thing upside down, hasn't it? And yes. it did it without any warning as well, which is totally brilliant because that yeah. keeps people like me on my toes, that's for sure. <laughs> it certainly does. Honestly, running around <laughs> like blue, like, uh, like, like mad chickens, headless chickens is pretty mad. Yeah. <laughs> So have you been? Have you built anything in your shop that's been a little crazy at all? Or uh, I know that you had your 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 RSV, the white one that had some nitrous and stuff on it. Last time I was there, has, has anything changed with that? Or have you have you put anything else in? No, that, that, that bike's retired. 
tired now, man. We, we've put that one to bed now. It's uh, it, it, it's um, basically we we tested so many sort of products on that particular bike, uh, and we beat it mercilessly to within an inch of its life. Probably <laughs> to be fair, so it, it started to miss a few gears. So I've got to do an engine refresh on that one. But oh, yeah, yeah, we got um, we got a couple of bikes uh, built and sorted. We've got um, an RSV4 2015 RSV4 RF all painted up in shock colours. We rebuilt the motor on that did a little bit of engine tuning on that. We've started developing products for that particular bike, sort of like some rear sets for it, that kind of thing. We're doing some testing, some product testing on sort of different types of calipers, brake pads, that kind of stuff. Whenever you kind of um, get a question, which you, we do quite frequently about what what pads would you recommend, what tires would you recommend, um, that kind of thing, it's good to be able to give people some kind of an indication about your findings, sort of factual findings rather than just conjecture and hearsay and opinion you know yep, so yep. um we've certainly been to dinos with uh with with some of the rsv stuff and for the v-twin stuff and tested the difference between different types of throttle bodies and got some scientific results on that rather than like i said just just guesswork because that kind of thing it's nice to always be able to put uh, put a dino sheet in front of somebody and say there's the facts so yeah right. we've, we've we've got a v4 built we've got some um like i said we've been testing brake pads exhaust Doing a lot of dyno work, spending a, a bit of time sort of doing some development to, to make sure that well, you know you can look somebody in the eye and say this is this is these are the facts yes. rather than sort of I think I kind of always dig doing that because you can look somebody in the eye then and tell them the truth. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. Hundred percent. And and uh, you know just just having it first off the amount of knowledge and experience and wisdom you have with these bikes, but also the fact that you keep you know, uh, pushing that envelope and testing things and, and, and keeping yourself up to date with your knowledge is really important. I have to, I have to be honest, man, my opinion, it, it doesn't mean a fat lot. So I like to try and deal with facts yeah. that way. Like I said, you can look somebody in the eye and say, here's the, here's the proof. Here's the proof. Yep. They yep. can't argue with that. No, can't. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, Griff, I think, I think that sort of ends it for today. I uh, think so. We, we got into one hour and a half today, which is really good. Uh, we're intending on an hour. Thanks for spending the extra time. Um, and no problem. Yeah. Hopefully you've got a, we've got a cracking day ahead of you and, uh, and then things are going to work out nicely and uh, you're going to have an exciting time. Say hi to everybody in the shop. Um, I hope to be able to get back out there and pay you guys a visit again sometime soon. And maybe we'll get to see you out here in Australia once the, uh, once the flights open up again. We were well, I was due to be out there, out. wasn't I? I was due to be out there earlier this year. So, uh, but yeah. unfortunately, the uh, the whole sort of uh, the, the nineteen sort of uh, put it, put put paid to that one. So, I think we're going to try working on the early part of next year again, while nice. it's a little bit quiet over here, and uh, we'll come over and see you guys and uh, and say hello. Like uh, it's it's my turn to come and see you. <laughs> looking, looking forward to it, mate. Definitely looking forward That's to cool. it. All right, mate, thank you so much. Say hi to everybody over there for us. Cheers, and, Chris. Uh, have a great day. Be safe, you guys. Take care, right. and uh, thank you very, very much for everything that you do for me. I really, really appreciate Cheers, it. Man. See, I'm, 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 I'm blessed with you. All the best, man. Cheers. Thank you, man. Take care now. Bye. Well, there you have it. That was Griff Woolley, um, and he spent a, a friend a of the show. Time, friend of the show, nice guy. He's definitely yep, a nice legend guy. with the Aprilis. He certainly is. So, listen, listeners out there, if you are um, if you are somebody who owns an Aprilia, I know we a lot of our, our close circle does own Aprilias, and some of them listen to our show. Uh, we need to get more of them listening to our show. I we think. do. Um, if you do need parts for your Aprilia, um, if you need a bit of advice. Check out AP Workshops. That's Apple, Peter, and then Workshops out of the UK. And check, be out known Griff, as, check out Griff's videos because yeah, his, his videos are very, very, very intuitive. You can learn a lot of stuff exactly. from his videos. 
Um, they're free, cost you nothing. Yep. And you can pick up a lot, a lot of tips there from Griff, and he's happy to do it, and they're very informative. Yeah, that's right. Subscribe to his channel. He's got a YouTube channel that he's just transferred all of his old stuff. So he used to be called Aprilia Performance, but, of course, because of uh, intellectual property issues um, and uh, changing the structure of his own his own business, he's now called it AP Workshop. So basically now it was Aprilia Performance. is basically AP. So it's AP Workshops. Logo is quite the same. Um, they're in Birmingham. If you're out that way, go pay them a visit. He'll pour you a cup of tea and chat your ear off because he's that kind of a guy. He's awesome. The, the rest of the people in the shop are awesome, and you get to look at some pretty cool machines. He's actually got a, a, a good collection of tu, uh, Tuonos, uh, the, the the Gen 1 Tuonos that have all the carbon fiber all over them and stuff, Tuono Racings, and a few other sort of obscure machines sitting in there, um, and super friendly. And if you do need parts, uh, definitely get on, uh, I think it's apworkshops.co.uk, and they have a web store and they've got all kinds of interesting things that they've developed themselves including a 1060 big board kit for those of you guys that have a rotax motor um that big board kit's absolutely incredible um they've also got some neat little things such as uh, collector modifications and stuff and parts for v4s that they've developed in-house um including a, a really really awesome set of rear sets that you can get for either the rsv4 or the gen 1 melees um yeah, so Aprilia Performance, check them out. Uh, and, of course, follow their Facebook page, follow their Instagram, follow uh, and subscribe to the YouTube channel and uh, say hi to Griff for us, right? Yep, yep, always. Good lad. Okay, so uh, everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Apologies for the technical difficulties. What difficulties? We were trying to test a new thing and get video going here, but uh, the internet connection sort of uh, put the kibosh on that. But uh, we're coming back at you next time. So this is episode number seven. Please subscribe to our episodes. Check out our previous ones. Uh, pass them around to your friends. Really, uh, if we're hoping that you guys can, uh, you know, that, that the community is going to help us to be able to get the word out there about this podcast, and we're going to continue to line up some new guests for you. We've got uh, an ex-MotoGP racer that's probably going to be coming onto our podcast sometime soon. So stay tuned for that. Um, and next show, I think we're going to do a giveaway again. This time oh, we did. Why but, not? Uh, why yeah, not? Definitely going to do a giveaway. So uh, thanks everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Cheers and, guys. Yeah. Cheers. episode and all of its content is protected by international copyright law. Any reproduction or communication of the content in this episode is not permitted without the express permission of Motor Addicts Media. Motor Addicts Road and Track, Motor Addicts and the associated symbols are a trademark of Motor Addicts Media, a division of the Traders Group, PTY, LTD.